You are listening to the Missions History Podcast, brought to you by the International Mission Board. On this episode, hosts David Brady and Scott Peterson are joined by veteran missionary and author, Dr. Sam James. Listen in as they discuss the history of mission in Vietnam and the role Dr. James has played over the years. This is Missions History Podcast. MHP is a ministry of the International Mission Board, and I'm David Brady, and my co-host is Scott Peterson. Scott, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, David. How are you? I'm doing well. Would you tell us a little bit about our guest and our topic for today's episode? Well, our guest today is Dr. Sam James, and uh, I've known Dr. James for a few years, not closely, but have had the privilege of being in some meetings from time to time with him, and of course, he's uh, well known for uh, an older biography uh, telling about his life experiences up through his service in Vietnam, and a fantastic book, so much so that uh, a few years ago when the IMB had a stock of his book, I grabbed the remaining stock because I love to give that book out to others to read, probably one of the best, if not the best, missions biographies that I've ever read. And, uh, so I I'm agree, sure, by the way. You know, I we'll love be, it. Yeah. We'll be talking about that, I'm sure, a little bit later today. Um, but also, Dr. James has a new book out as well, uh, biography. I have not had the privilege of reading that yet, but I'm sure we'll be talking also a little bit about that as well. Yes, and we'll put both of these in the show notes, but um, Dr. James' first book of, of uh, missionary recollections is called Servant on the Edge of History, and his uh, new book is The Making of a Servant. And um, I can tell you exactly how far I am in uh, to making of a servant. I've read 72% of the book. <laughs> that's thanks to my Kindle. It tells you're, me that that's how far I am into it. You're ahead of me then. And uh, the servant on the edge of history, true, I agree with you, is just a, it was such a wonderful um, biography. And Dr. James, I just want to say thank you. We, we are believers that it's not just about you telling your story, but it is about inspiring the next generation of young people that are coming along. And as you look back through missions history, time and time again, it's either meeting a missionary or it's reading about a missionary that has sort of that sealing effect. You know, everybody, we, we believe and hear the Great Commission, but sometimes we need to see actual flesh and blood people who are from our state or, our, you know, our sort of circumstances in life to help us know that it's really hey, maybe God's calling me to do this. You know, David, um, speaking of that, I talked about handing that book out to a lot of people. All four of my children have the book, and also my entire young adult Sunday school class has received mm -hmm. a copy for that very reason, and it's a fantastic story. But I just wanted to throw in one other thing, that when I think of Sam James, I think of the Energizer Bunny. Mm -hmm. Because every time I turn around, I hear that he's on another assignment for the International Mission Board. He just keeps going and going and going. And uh, that's exciting to know that we're not limited in our impact and the way God can use us is not limited by our age, whether young or old. Amen. That's great. And Dr. James, we are going to let you talk on this podcast. But before we do, just one more thing I want to say for those who are thinking about uh, getting a copy of either of these books, especially that the first one, Servant on the Edge of History. If, if you haven't read it, you need to start there. 
But um, one of the things that I appreciate so much about it is the fact that um, you don't come away feeling like um, Dr. James is presenting himself as a superhero. You see the fact, I mean, he talks about his struggles, the internal struggles. The, there's just a lot of, of uh, honesty and presenting of the conflict. And I think that um, letting us into that space, that interior space, makes it much more authentic. It's not just, I did this, I did this. It's these were the struggles going on inside of me. So thank you for that um, contribution to Missions Biography. And, and so today, um, Dr. James, we want to get started with, maybe Americans have heard more about Vietnam than a lot of other countries, but mm-hmm. still, just Sam, give us sort of Vietnam 101. Give us an mm-hmm. introduction to the country. We want our listeners to be able to to, to have a little more insight mm-hmm. uh, into that country, what it, w- what it was facing during that time, some of the, the challenges, and also some of the incredible blessings yeah. of that nation. Well, Vietnam was uh, under the, under the uh, control as a colony of France for you know, many, many, many years. And uh, in the late 40s, after the Second World War, when the Japanese actually occupied uh, Japan, uh, actually occupied uh, Vietnam. Uh, then the French came back in after the Second World War, and immediately there was a nationalist movement. And a, a young man named Ho Chi Minh uh, had, was in, enamored with the communist system and uh, Marxism, uh, went to Russia to study, wound up in Germany, and then came back to Vietnam to help free Vietnam from the French. Um, he didn't really say much about his being communist, but he really was. He begged America to come in and help him to uh, get the French out, but we refused. And uh, I think there was a lot of suspicion about him. Mm-hmm. And uh, he he was highly revered by the Vietnamese people, the north north in the north, central and north, and. Uh, he led the country to victory, basically. Mm-hmm. He was the father of Vietnam. He would have been to Vietnam what George Washington was to America. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. He, he rallied the people. He had a great general, General Yap. Uh, and I, I, I speak, sound like I'm favorable. To, I don't like communism, and I'm mm-hmm. not agreeable with it. But they sacrificed so much back in those days. Mm-hmm. And, and Ho Chi Minh was their leader. Um, this, in 1953, when the Geneva Agreement was signed, uh, the country was divided. The North became communist. Mm-hmm. The South became a free, independent state mm-hmm. uh, under an emperor, actually. And when was the partition of North and South? What year uh, it was, was that? It was in 1953. 53. Uh, uh, and our first missionaries went. 59. In 59. Um, so okay. we had never had anybody in North Korea. Never. We, yeah. we, so, the cinema did, but not, not, not us. So this is uh, also just trying to get me in my mind understanding this. Um, could you tell linguistically somebody oh, yeah. from the North? Is, is the dialect's a little different? Immediately. Immediately. Yeah. It's yeah. like a Southerner and a Northerner in the United States. Almost. Yeah, even uh, maybe even more so. More so. Yeah. Was, yeah. Were the years of partition, did that heighten the linguistic difference? Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what about today? Now, even though it's a unified politically, uh-huh. the country is unified politically, are there still underlying oh, tensions between North there, and South? There's still three countries there, North, really? Central, and South. and. Mm-hmm. Uh, neither one likes each other. Is that and, right? Uh, still, there's a real distinct difference in the three. Mm. Um, 
almost all the television announcers are all from the north. So Vietnamese is changing. Uh, the language is changing. Right. In fact, uh, it's very difficult for us to use a, a translator of materials from the, from the states because they've been gone for 30 or 40 right. years, and Vietnam has changed so much. Mm. They recognize if we send a Sunday school quarterly that was translated by a Vietnamese in Atlanta, they know immediately that it's different. That's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. So how is yeah. the church, the evangelism and the church planting, is it flowing across those different lines, north, central, yeah, now south? Now it is, and uh, it was very interesting. I was at a student retreat. I was speaking for a student retreat two years ago in, in Yatrang on the coast. And, uh, oh gosh, there were like 40 young students from the north came down with the students from the South and Central. And we were all in a retreat. And at the end of that retreat, this one young girl got up and she she cried. And she said, when I heard that North Vietnamese students were coming to this retreat, I almost decided not to come. Wow. She mm -hmm. said, I did not want anything to do with these students. Mm -hmm. And she said, now, she said, I've learned to love these students. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. And she said, I want, we need to have more of these retreats wow. to help us to know each other better. Mm -hmm. So that's what the Lord does. Right. You know? That's really good. And, uh, well, I, I want to hear more about your more recent, whatever you can tell us more about your mm -hmm. more recent travel yeah. and experience in the how the, the work and maybe the yeah. impact of the early work on what's mm -hmm. going on there today. But before we get there... In, in your your first book of experiences, you tell the story of, uh, I think, a Viet Cong member, uh, Mr. An. Mm -hmm. Could you share with us a little bit about that story? Yes. Um, Mr. An uh, showed up at Grace Church one morning, and uh, he was really weather-beaten. Uh, you could tell he'd been out in the jungles or whatever. He was just different. His eyes were gray, different from most Vietnamese, and like steel, you know, just a, a harsh look on his face. And he sat toward the back of the auditorium. When I got up to preach, I, I, I was just drawn to him, you know. And I was preaching on 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is, any man is in Christ, he's a new creature, mm. new creation. Old mm -hmm. things are passed away. Behold, all things come new, become mm. new. Mm. I'm tempted and, to ask you to quote that verse in Vietnamese, but I won't put you on the spot there. I could do it. But. <laughs> yeah, well, let's hear it. Yeah, I let's hear, hear it, it uh, if you don't mind. Okay. Nếu có ai ở trong đơn Christ, nay là người được dựng nền mới. Những sự cổ đã qua đi, này mọi sự đều được trở nên mới. All right. Uh, Thank yeah. you for doing Thank that. So, so anyway, when I finished preaching, I gave an invitation. And he came right out uh, from, from that pew in the back and came forward. Mm -hmm. And he kind of took my hand with his fist closed. I noticed that. And he looked at me and he said, I need to become a new man. And uh, so I said, okay, just stay after the service. Let's sit down here and talk about this. So we talked a little bit, and uh, he told me he had been out in uh, the jungles. He'd gotten in a lot of trouble, and he was had been very ill. And he was walking by the church, and he heard a hymn sing. Hmm. And he said, when I was a little boy, my grandmother took me to a church in 
in in uh, the north, not in Hanoi, but out in the country in the north. And he said, I remembered that hymn wow. when I heard I it. And Amazing. he said, I felt like I just had to come in here. Wow. And he said, I want to become a new person, a new man. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I told him, I said, okay, well, let me, next week, we're going to come by and visit with you. And let's talk a lot about this, you know. Mm-hmm. Okay, he said. So uh, we were rejoicing. I had prayer with him. He prayed with me, and uh, I led him in prayer. So the next week, a deacon and I went down this little alleyway back at the address he had given me, and uh, there were some kids playing in the street in the alleyway there. And I went up to the house, and nobody answered at the house. And so I asked one of the boys playing out there, I said, uh, does Mr. Ein live here? They said, Yes. And I said, "Is he? Where is he?" And they said, "Oh, he's a Viet Cong. He's a communist, and he's uh, turned himself in uh, yesterday to the police, mm-hmm. and he's in prison." And uh, boy, I was really shaken by that, you know. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know how to get to him because that, you know, I mean, you can't get anywhere near that prison. Right. Uh, but the uh, one of my. Uh, uh, the older men in the church had a friend who worked in that uh, Chihuahua prison in Saigon. And I asked him if he could try to find out about him. And he came back and said, yes, he's VC and he's in prison now. Hmm. And uh, he wants to change uh, from being a VC. And he's got to go through a long educational process. We don't know when he can ever get out. And so I, every Sunday I look for him. Hmm. It's just hmm. that hope, you know, he'll yes. be there. And after, I don't know, two months or so, three months, I can't remember exactly, I looked back, here he was in the church wow, coming in. And uh, he had a big smile on his face. And uh, after the service, he came up and he told me that uh, he had, he told me the whole story about being out in the jungle as as a commissar, a political commissar, persuading people Mm -hmm. uh, toward the communism. And he said, "I I have leprosy. And he said, uh, and I have tuberculosis. Wow. And he said, and they left me out there to die. Wow. He said, they, there was no medical care. And my the people I traveled with, he said, uh, all just gave up on me. They just left me to die. Mm. And he said, I got up and I have walked into Saigon and hoping to get some medical care. And he said, and, and I've been here just a few days when... I came walking by the church, and I heard that hymn. And he said, I knew I have to become a new man. Wow. I, can't, I, I wow. can't go on like I am. And I realized that's why he stuck out his hand in a fist to me, because his fingers were gone. Oh, uh, it's oh. just it eaten away his hands. And, um, and isn't that beautiful? You're preaching yeah. on that, that, that verse, verse, and that was what his heart was crying out for, exactly. being a new creation. That's uh, the Lord. Yeah. Uh, you know, he... Yeah. He worked that out. And so I got to know he brought his wife then in, mm-hmm. and uh, he became a fabulous believer. Mm-hmm. And and he said, you're going about it wrong. He said, you need to learn what we communists do. Yeah. He said, you, th- you expect that everybody who becomes a Christian is going to love each other, and you can get them all in a group, and they'll all love each other and grow. He said, we communists know better than that. He said, you need to get all the taxi drivers together. You need to get all the clerical workers together. You need to get all the the uh, the uh, 
handy workers or whatever together. Yeah. Get them into a group because they know each other. Uh-huh. And then you can disciple them and they'll relate together. Amazing. He said, you're going about it all wrong. He said, look how we comics have grown. Said, That's something he had a strategy. <laughs> so, so, so evangelistic church planting methodology from <laughs> communism. Yeah. 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 Communism, the things yeah. you can learn on MHP, Missions History That's, Podcast. Never knew. <laughs> so one of the things I love is, is his story interacts with another man. I don't know yeah. how to say Mr. High. Mr. High. So, and, and the reason I love this story, Sam, is because, um, you know, I think sometimes we we wonder what we go out and we preach a gospel. It's words, you know, yeah. and and other organizations or governments are are giving so much money, and they're they're yeah. you know they're doing so many things, and we sometimes in our heart we struggle, or even a a doctor that can fix a, a broken bone or do some other surgery. And we wonder, is there really power in the gospel? Mm-hmm. And 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 it kind of brought you yeah. this part of the story brought you to a little bit of a uh, a watershed moment where where the power of the gospel became really clear to you. So, would you share that story? Yes, uh, one of my deacons said he had met a, a man who was uh, crippled, and uh, he he was just so full of anger and bitterness. And he said, uh, I, I want you to come with me and let's visit him. So I said, great, you know. So we went out to this place. It's way up a little, uh, a small alleyway back in there in the settlement. And um, uh, we came up to the door and uh, and kind of banged on the door. And and uh, a screen door, they didn't have full door there. Uh, and uh, this, I heard this clanking noise, and this guy came to the door, and he was on crutches and pulling himself along. And he asked in a very angry voice, "What do you want?" You know, mm. that kind of thing. And we said, "I'm I'm a pastor, and uh, I've heard uh, about you, and I just wanted to come by and visit with you a little bit." And he said, "I don't need any visitors. Don't want any." And I said, well, just let us, let, us, let us talk a little bit. I said, I've got a friend I'd like to introduce you to. And um, he said, is this your friend? Uh, I said, no, I'm not talking about him. I'm talking about another one. Hmm. He said, okay. So he opened the door. And, hmm. uh, and we came in this little living room and sat on little stools, you know. And he uh, sat in a wheelchair. And uh, we began to talk, and I asked him, uh, how, did you, how did this happen to you like this? And he broke down and began to tell me. Uh, and he said, uh, one night, he said, uh, we were asleep, uh, and, and some Viet Cong sappers came by our house. They're guys who have these satchels with bombs and okay. things. And they were going to blow up the uh, Army uh, motor pool mm-hmm. with all these trucks across the wall from us, uh, right at the end of the street. And he said when they began to climb the fence, the guards saw them and fired at them. And they ran, and one of the guys, as he ran, threw the satchel with a bomb over on our against our front door here mm. and collapsed the whole front of our house on my father and mother's bed, and my father was killed. And I was laying there. My mother was spared. But I, it broke my back in several places. Wow. And he said, and I will never walk again and mm. be the same again. And so he said, I have to wear these braces on my legs to stand up, and I have to use crutches. 
And uh, he said, and, and a communist did this to me. Mm, mm. He said he didn't even know who we were. Mm. And he talked a lot about the, the uselessness of, mm. of it, just tearing up my family for nothing. Mm -hmm. And he said, I don't want to ever even, if I ever see one, I'm going to kill him. Mm. You know, he was so bitter. And uh, he said something about, uh, what do you mean a friend? And I said, well, I've got a friend that's, that can really help you. Mm. And I began telling about Jesus. Mm. Right? Mm. And we talked about it and that Jesus could, could live in his heart, you know, and, and could bring healing to him. Not Amen. healing physically necessarily, but, but spiritual healing yes. and all. And he began to listen. Mm -hmm. And after several visits, uh, he accepted the Lord. Mm. And, and just this change came over him. He, he just mm. calmed down. In fact, his mother told me one day, she said, I don't even know him anymore. Yeah. He's changed so much. He doesn't get after me. He doesn't curse me out. He doesn't do anything now. He's just here. And mm -hmm. she said, I, I'm just grateful that this mm -hmm. has happened to him. Well, I, I began to talk to him about coming to church. And I said, you know, you need to get in a body of believers who love you and they'll support you. And they, they know Jesus and he's done a lot for them. He said, "Well, I'll think about it." And uh, so the, the deacon that had introduced me to him was very helpful. You know, visited him and followed up on him, discipled him. And uh, so one Sunday, uh, I, I he he came to the church, and I saw him appear in the doorway. My first thought was, "Mr. Ein, the communist, right, is sitting on the third row." Oh my, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a place next to him. Oh, wow. About the only place left in the church for him to sit. Oh no! And he comes down the aisle real slow, clank, clank, clank. You could hear it all over these these things on his legs clanking, and the thunder of those uh, uh, crutches. And people in the church, you know, were amazed to see this guy coming in. He goes down almost deliberately and sits down right next to Mister Ann. Wow! And I'm I'm you know. Oh, ye of little faith. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If he finds out that Mr. Ann is a communist, or was a communist, it's going to be bad, you know. And so I'm ready to leap out of the pulpit any minute. And separate and, them, right? And, yeah. <laughs> and uh, my deacon didn't seem to be too worried about it, you know. But uh, I I had said at one point, if he ever comes to church, I want you to sit next to him. Right. You know. Yeah. <laughs> he said he played you right by Mr. <laughs> he Ron. said, thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the best laid plans, right? <laughs> yeah, right. And so uh, here they sat. And, and you know, I had told him at one time that we have a communist in church. And I said, you know, if you come to church, you're going to see him and you're going to have to decide what you're going to do, you mm. know. And he didn't react to that very much. Mm. But I think he knew that this man was there. Mm. And Mr. Ein knew him because I told him. I said, this man is going to come one of these days, and mm -hmm. you're a communist. I don't know what he's going to do. Mm. Mr. Ein put his arm around him wow. and hugged him close. Mm. And he put his hand over on Mr. Mr. Uh, on, uh, Mr. Ein's leg. And they sat there smiling at each other. And I knew it was going to be okay. Right. And afterward, they just uh, embraced after mm. the service. And that was one of the most dynamic moments of my whole life. Yeah. Uh, most moving moments. 
I had to turn my back and just wipe the tears, you know, mm-hmm. to see how God had changed mm-hmm. a man who hated with all of his heart mm-hmm. and killed people with his own hands. And here's a guy who was almost killed by a man like that. And God is bringing them together Amazing. to become the power of the gospel. Amen. The power of the gospel is unbelievable. Ministry of reconciliation. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. and I thought of how much money we spend building farms and experimental things and and hospitals and all this stuff in Vietnam to win the Vietnamese over. Mm-hmm. And uh, and here the the simple gospel mm-hmm. has brought two enemies together. I, I thought of that scripture and the lion will lay down, you know, with the sheep. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and there'll be, be no more wars, you know. Amen. And I You're thought, yeah. if the world could just hear the gospel, Amen. all of these wars and strife in every country mm-hmm. could be healed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the Lord you blessed know? you with a glimpse of the future. Exactly. Amen. Oh. What we're hoping for around the throne. That's right. One day. So, Sam, well, one one thing too in your book, you meant you talk about uh, in the Vietnamese mind just how real uh, the the spirit realm is. And sometimes, even though we are we're believers, our worldview is more shaped by secular Western culture than by the New Testament. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes we don't know how to handle spiritual conflict. Yeah. So to walk us through, what was that experience of learning the what Vietnamese were thinking about spirits, and then how would you handle that from a New Testament perspective? Uh, the, it's very interesting that our first encounter with that was when we first got to Dalat up in the mountains. Uh, we moved into this house that we had rented very cheap. <laughs> I knew there must be a reason. <laughs> and uh, it was kind of run down and uh, hard to live in. We'd, we kind of fixed it up. and But we found out after we began learning Vietnamese that a man had killed himself in the upstairs attic of that house, which meant that his spirit was going to be on that property eternally wow. as a malevolent spirit mm-hmm. because he died on that property. And so we had nobody coming to see us. Nobody wanted to come and see us because of that belief yeah. in spirits. Yeah. So we had to live there and uh, and say, you know, the power of God is so much greater. They were expecting our kids to die or get sick or we would get sick. And mm-hmm. they just waited for something bad to happen. Mm-hmm. And after about six months, they saw nothing was happening. Mm-hmm. And every chance I got, I said, yeah, they, they might ask us, you know, how, how do you live in that house, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, I have God. He's Amen. far more powerful than any spirit that you can right. even think of, Amen. you know. And they began to believe that mm-hmm. <laughs> and come to see us. And I started a Bible study in our home and all, and they had no problem. Mm-hmm. So that was my first encounter, really, with uh, spirits. And then later um, with the ancestor worship, which is probably the— the thing that keeps more people from believing the Lord than anything is we don't worship our ancestors. And uh, the way I overcame it as a pastor was I tried to set up a, uh, if someone died, Mm -hmm. uh, we had kind of a service at the church where uh, we put the picture of the person up there. And we asked the community at the church, and a lot of people would come who didn't belong to the church, who knew that person, uh, would would some of you just get up and tell what you really appreciated by this person? Mm. 
And so they would get up and talk about, you know, what a good person he was. And the family would be there, and they would tell their appreciation of their father, mother, whoever it was. Mm. And we would have prayer. Mm. And uh, and I would explain that this isn't worship of the person. It's the worship of God. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it's just remembering right. that we, we honor our father and mother. The Ten mm-hmm. Commandments teach us to mm-hmm. honor our father and mother. Mm. And uh, that's the way I dealt with that ancestor worship, mm-hmm. the, the spirits in that regard. So um, rather than just completely rooting it out, sort of refocusing it. Refocusing, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of our best pastors did that, uh, even when his wife died. Uh, he had a service like that, which was very influential. But we got so much criticism from the uh, evangelical church in Vietnam, mm-hmm. the growth outgrowth of the CNMA, because they have a blanket uh uh, a statement you cannot participate in any way in uh, and worshiping the ancestors, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh, we don't participate either. But right. we do memorialize them, right? And uh, but the Thienline Church is not even allowed to do that. The evangelical churches. Okay, so Sam, um, tell us tell us a story about your secretary. Yeah, well, uh, she was engaged to a pilot, a Vietnamese pilot. And uh, they they really wanted to get married, but he told her that I might be killed. I don't want to leave a widow, uh, and perhaps with even children. Mm-hmm. And he said, "What I'm doing is flying in war. It's dangerous, and let's let's pledge to each other our faithfulness. And when this is all over, we'll get married." And she reluctantly agreed to that, and then he was killed in an airplane crash. And and what she dealt with was. That she would, every time she even looked at a man, she had a vision of her husband standing there Mm. uh, calling her to himself. Mm. And she said, uh, she told me one time, she said, I went by the cemetery today and he was standing in the cemetery beckoning me to come to him. Right. And uh, she said, I, I, uh, his spirit is always with me. I I can't get rid of it. I can't, I don't want to. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, then, there came a time when her house caught on fire, and she ran in and got her elderly father out, and the mother got out, and for some reason, she ran back into the house, and the house collapsed on her, and she was burned to death. Oh, my. And uh, I have always wondered, her mm-hmm. belief in the spirits were so strong, mm-hmm. no matter what I told her or witnessed mm-hmm. to her or whatever, mm-hmm. was so strong, I just wonder if this spirit... Yeah. Ask her to come back in, yeah. you know, and she mm. died in that fire. Mm. But it's always lived with me. Yeah. To the Vietnamese, the spirits are very real, yeah. and you you ignore them uh, to your own, to your detriment, right? And your witness and all to them. Uh, you have to, and the New Testament's full of it. It's filled with right. spirits, and just like you so, said, is is we have authority in that that realm. That's you know, right. Yeah. Christ has given us, and we have to help teach new believers that's to right. stand on that and uh, right. to uh, to cast those spirits out well yeah. that's that's the power of the spirits in vietnam so uh, so sam uh, scott mentioned a little bit about you know the ongoing work mm-hmm. uh, but as i remember it you you left vietnam right before what's known as the fall of saigon is that right just yes. a few days before yes and we're able to get out of the country in kind of miraculous fashion 
did that end your connection with Vietnam? Or, or tell us, tell us just kind of where your ongoing connection with Vietnam is today. Oh, it's uh, it's never ceased. For 14 years, it was dark, but uh, at the end of 14 years, I had to, I was able to go back. Um, but leaving Vietnam uh, was one of the most difficult things in my life. Yeah. Uh, Rachel, your, I was going to say, you know, I I, I read in your book and you talk mm-hmm. about that lost identity yeah. of leaving here. You mm-hmm. were associated with, you were a pastor, you were a missionary, mm-hmm. and now all of that was ending. Yeah. So that's a, that's a, that's always been a powerful thing in, in my mind. And I know a lot of our, our listeners will wonder what are the challenges that missionaries go through during their careers, but mm-hmm. what about the challenges when they leave? Yeah, that's, that's, uh, see, we had been in Vietnam for 14 years, and uh, it was our language, our people. God had right. given me this tremendous love for the Vietnamese people, and I could see it coming. Uh, there was no way to avoid it. And uh, Rachel and the children uh, left a couple of weeks before the fall mm. and went up to Taiwan where our daughter was at Morrison Academy in high school. And uh, I, I stayed on. Um, until, you know, there was no choice. I had to leave. Uh, and I remember that night, uh, well, you know, that afternoon, I, uh, well, when I got to the airport, there were probably 500,000 people in the airport at that time, or a million Man. people maybe. Oh, my. And, uh, and someone that I had led to the Lord, who was very high in Air Vietnam, saw me in all that crowd, mm. me and two other missionaries, uh, uh, Bob Davis and Sam Longbottom were with me. Their families had left already. And we were three of us were together there. And he came over to us and he said, are you leaving? And we said, yes, we're going to have to leave. He said, where are you going? And there was one plane out there. And I said, uh, we're going. Uh, I said, where is that plane going? He said, it's going to Manila. I said, that's where we're going. <laughs> <laughs> Wherever that plane is going is where we're going. Yeah, he said, I think I can get you on that plane. So uh, he came back with two, with three tickets. And Bob Davis was our treasurer at that time. And he had all kind of Vietnamese money in his briefcase. And he was just going to give him all of it. He said, no, we don't take Vietnamese money anymore. Yeah. And, and we had like $100 between us. And uh, it's going to take a lot more money than that, he said, to get you out. And I said, well, I have an American Express credit card. <laughs> he said, I'll take that. So he took it, and I signed, signed it. Never was charged for it, but uh, everything fell, you know. And so we got it. But, but we went. They took us in this little room. Uh, everybody going on that plane, they took into that room. And about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, these a mortar shell came in on top of the terminal next to us and uh, killed a number of people. And uh, and I ran out. I was in a, a ditch under a culvert for a, a while till things cleared up. And we came back in that room, which wasn't touched, and uh, night came on, and we didn't know when we were going to get out. And... Uh, about nine o'clock at night, uh, there was a knock on the door, and uh, they said, "Turn off the lights." We turned off the light. They said, "If they, if the VCC any light, they're going to zero in on that with mortar." So everything was pitch black. And he came in the room and he said, "We're ready to get on the plane." Mm-hmm. It was probably eleven o'clock at night, I guess. And uh, he said, "But it's dark. There's no moon out tonight." 
And he said, you're going to have to take the shoulder of the person in front of you and just follow, and I will lead you to the plane. And so we filed out, single file, with hand on the person in front, and had to climb up into this old DC-3. It was a, a DC-3 that you know was converted from a C-47 right. military plane. And took our place on the plane, and uh, and uh, he couldn't run, have any running lights or no lights on the airport. I don't know how we took off. It was totally black and dark. He took off in that darkness, and uh, and the plane circled around the city of Saigon. And I looked down, and I could see fires burning here and there. And uh, and then he leveled off and started toward Manila. And uh, it, w- it was one of those. Uh, lost feelings, you know. And uh, I had a New Testament with the Psalms in the back, and I opened it to Psalm uh, to Psalm one thirty seven, I think it is, where it says, uh, "That we we sat down beside River Babylon. They were right. carrying us into captivity, mm-hmm. and they said required it of of us a song, mm-hmm. and we said, how can we sing?" The Lord's song yeah. in a in a foreign country, foreign land, mm. and boy, I read that and uh, it really stirred me. Uh, and I began to think, okay, Sam, you have been so proud of being a Vietnam uh, missionary, you know, in the midst of war, you know, uh, you're a, a Christian, you're a pastor of a, a church, and uh, you were chairman of the mission for a good while, and. Uh, you were president of the seminary and founded that seminary. All of those identities are, that's who you are. And then all of a sudden now, uh, I'm not pastor of anything. And uh, I sat in on my porch at home and everybody going by called me pastor. Hmm. I'm no longer a pastor of anything. Uh, the seminary's closed uh, I'm not president of a seminary. I'm not a professor. I'm nothing with a seminary. We don't even have a seminary. Hmm. Uh, there's no mission anymore. Hmm. You're not chairman of a mission. There's nothing there. Who are you now, Sam? What's your identity hmm. now? Hmm. And it hit me that I'm a child of God. Hmm. Hmm. That is hmm. the only identity hmm. that I have. The only way I can lose that identity is if I lay it down myself. Hmm. And... I will never be anything but a child of God. Amen. And I made a decision that night. I would never again allow geography mm. or position or power or work mm-hmm. determine who I am. Mm. Good word. It will be as a child of God. But let's point out, mm. I get emotional telling this. Yeah. It's still like it happened yeah. today, last night, tonight. And... Uh, with that, you know, we landed in Manila, and then I went over to Hong Kong and then up to my family in Taiwan and then out to Guam to live in tents with refugees, <laughs> um, 500,000 refugees on Guam to, to minister there. But uh, so that, that was a turning point in my life. Yeah, I, I've had to learn that time and again mm-hmm. <laughs> when I've been moved from one job to another, to another. and broken. Um, and and I've said, Sam, do you have to keep learning this lesson over and over again? Right. You let that identity creep in. Mm-hmm. Uh, rest on the fact that you belong to the Lord Jesus. Right. You're the child of God. 
Sam, one of the things I can already know is that we're going to need to get, a, as best you can, we're going to need to get a promise from you, and that is we're going to need to have you as a guest again on Missions History Podcast, because there's so many questions we didn't get to ask this mm-hmm. time. Um, but as we conclude the podcast, just tell us a little bit about the state of uh, of Christianity, of uh, in churches in Vietnam, mm-hmm. and a little bit about your ongoing relationship before we yeah. come to the end. Uh, it happened in 1989, which was exactly 14 years after uh, we left Vietnam, that Vietnam opened a slight window for visas. And so uh, uh, Bob Davis and I and our wives went back into Vietnam for the first time. And um, we didn't know what we would find because there had been no communication during those years. But I had read my Vietnamese Bible every morning to keep my language. Wow. (laughs) I wanted to keep that language. I wouldn't let it slide. So I went back in full of language, Yeah, (laughs) you know. And uh, and there was a crowd on the terminal, and uh, we thought, well, some VIPs on this plane, you know, we didn't see anybody that we recognize, you know. So we went through the uh, customs and immigration and all, and when we walked out, all those people had come to see Bob and I. Wow. Yeah. They had learned that we were coming. How about that? And so a uh, huge number were there. And uh, the only church left open after the communists took over was Grace Baptist Church in Saigon. Mm. The others went underground, mm-hmm. and there were underground churches, but no, no churches were, were in existence, not, not physically. Mm-hmm. And um, so uh, it, it was, it was a, a great reunion. But as, after that, I began to go back periodically because I was living in Hong Kong. I could fly down there. Right. And I was at that time director for East Asia, and so I could get down to Vietnam. And uh, Pastor Chan, uh, Vietnamese, was pastor of Grace Church. He had seen it through all of those 14 dark years wow. and persecution and everything and had remained faithful there. And he said the thing that we need most is training. He said uh, none of our people have had any uh, seminary, any school or anything since 1975. And he said we really need some training. And I said, well, what if I come back in periodically and we get some people together. He named four people uh, who would kind of oversee church planting and all in four major regions of Vietnam. Mm. And he said, uh, let me get those four together. And when you come in, uh, you'll teach them. It kind of reopen the Bibles, the, the seminary as such. And uh, so uh, I did. I began to come in regularly and teach them underground secretly. He added a fifth one because we were growing. And uh, so I had five, and later I was able to take eight, but never more than eight eight people, because the government would know. And for so for like fifteen years, I taught underground in Vietnam, and uh, and I'd move from one place to the other, always ahead of the police. Arrested once, uh, and the Holy Spirit just delivered me from that. Interrogated once. And out of that, God made me an official professor of religion in Vietnam. <laughs> so, so when uh, so you I, go back officially, yeah, legally, yeah, I yeah. go back legally now as a uh, my platform is the Vietnam Baptist Convention. Wow! And uh, and I founded the ba- Vietnam Baptist Bible Institute. We started with fifty students. Uh, we've now graduated well over a hundred. 
church planners and church leaders. Are you going and, back uh, again? I, I'll be back in January. In January. Yeah. And we'll open the Baptist Theological Seminary in January. Wow. Um, I can't so, wait to see where this story goes. Uh, I know. I'm already going. thinking more and more questions about yeah. the and, later life. And yeah. the, the past two years, we doubled our convention. Oh, man. And our greatest response is in the North, where the communists had control wow. for so many years. Amazing. Now they're coming to Christ in the Amazing. North. And we have a branch of our Bible Institute in downtown Hanoi mm. with government approval and in Saigon with government approval. That is that is an amazing thing. And yeah. I, I just want to encourage all of our listeners, if you've never read Servant on the Edge of History, you need to get that book. And you also need to get Sam's new book, The Making of a Servant. They're both just so well written. They're just uh, obviously Sam is just... Um, so filled with the Lord and His Spirit, and writes it in a very humble but engaging way. Uh, I've enjoyed it. I feel like, mm. um, I, you know, just even talking with you is just a privilege after having read the book. I mm. feel like I know you probably better than I do just because of how open you are in that. And, and just, um, Scott, this has just been a great episode. Absolutely. And like I shared, I just, well, I just want to second what you said about the books and uh, I think they have have had at least the first one has had an, an, a tremendous impact and for missions and the story. And I hope that many more people have an opportunity to hear more of the story as a result of this podcast. Well, thank you for letting me come. I, I've appreciated it and really enjoyed talking with you. And uh, well, I just pray this will somehow penetrate into the hearts of our people and they'll lift up their eyes and see that great harvest field out there, amen. even beyond Vietnam. The Amen. whole world. Amen. Amen. Dr. Sam James, it has been a joy and a privilege having you as a guest on this episode of Missions History Podcast. So for Scott Peterson, I'm David Brady. Until next time. You have been listening to Missions History Podcast, a production of the International Mission Board. Join hosts David Brady and Scott Peterson each week as they discuss significant people, places, and events from the history of international missions. You can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes.